Thank you, Allegra. Exciting, exciting, exciting. Wasn't that a beautiful song that she did? She's awesome. What a tremendous gift to this community she's been. Um, briefly, just want to address the elephant in the room. I, first, I want to just applaud um, those who came today to help us set up. Listen, it's no easy endeavor to make this happen. And I love the beam of light that's like just shooting through the center of the screen. But it, we, we have like the eclipse or whatever you want to call it, just the sun blazing through. You can shut down the lights and we can still have great light in this room. I see some people wearing sunglasses sometimes during service. I'm like, oh, bless the Lord. Um, but anyways, I just want to give just a round of applause to those who come faithfully and help us. I'm sorry, Brandon. I see the sun is right in your eyes. But anyways, um, just can we, can we get, put our hands together for those who serve this community faithful? And, uh, of course, uh, for all of you who are here tonight with us or this evening, I'm not going to keep you long. Somebody say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Eh, okay. Um, but for those of us who have been flexible, uh, especially through this month with the different service changes, thank you so much. It's not easy um, doing this, but uh, we're trying to work with the hotel as best we can in we're also trying to find another location or something that will suit us better. I think we've outgrown this space for the most part. Um, and so just pray for us. It's just one of those seasons again where, um, uh, of transition, you know. And so we're excited, but yet um, just looking to God to, for what's next anyway. So, well, uh, we're going to do a brief introduction of a new series that we're uh, going to embark upon uh, I think about three weeks probably, um, maybe even four as we uh, do the conference. Obviously, we're not going to be able to talk about it much then, but uh, we'll pick up back uh, the series after the conference. And we're going to be talking about family a little bit. Is that okay? Some of you are falling asleep. Pinch yourself. It's only four o'clock. You know you're going to stay up to like 12 o'clock tonight. It's okay. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. But we're going to talk about family. Is that all right? Uh, you know, I... Let me just say that, uh, put a little disclosure in here, this, this is awkward for me, you know, um, in many ways, because I, I feel like sometimes in the way church presents family, it seems just a little bit unreasonable and far-fetched, like almost like, like we're all busy, you know, we're like all live very busy lives, like the, the concept of family kind of overwhelms us a bit, you know, like, and so therefore it's like almost better for the church to become like an institution, you know, more so we're just like, you know, we try to do the best with the numbers that come and try to love them the best and disciple them the best and you know, we kind of lose very quickly um, that, that the aspect of family. And I know uh, for me and Bethany both, when we started Hilltop Church, our, our desire was not to just build, you know, something uh, that kind of looked like an institution or an organization. And it feels like as things have, have grown, we've, we've kind of lost, I'm speaking for myself, that sense of like togetherness or family being one and and um, I, I'm, I'm trying to, and we're going to try to, through this series, kind of bring us back to what is really the desire of our hearts. Um, you know, it's like uh, I often say, it, you can't really connect the two or really make the, make the correlation, but Biggie Small says, the more money, more problems. I'll say the more people, the more problems, you know, <laughs> in a good way. You know, it's just hard to manage. Um, but again, it wasn't uh, me and Bethany's desire at all to um, build anything but a family, um, over the years that has become increasingly hard. Uh, it seems the more growth that comes, uh, 
it's harder to preserve the heart and spirit of a family. Um, you know, something that has always, and I, I touched upon it on Vision Sunday, something that has always kind of been near and dear to my heart is the model of the early church and the way that they organized growth and they kind of, you know, um, did it. You know, I mean, we, we in no way are experiencing the growth of the early church. You know, 3,000 in a day, that's, that's quite overwhelming. Um, but uh, we see that that model or that kind of heart was... Um, was a, it, was, it, it, it totally was telling of a family, if that makes sense. The way they shared their meals and opened their homes, you know. They met daily. Um, it was so telling of the heart and the spirit. Their behavior was that of a family, um, not an institution. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, just that, the institution of the family. Like, um, you know, who started this thing? You know, I read one commentary uh, that... We can date family all the way back to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, even in the, uh, uh, the triune nature of God, there's, there's family. But according to the Bible, God himself ordained the family as the basic building block of human society. It's going a little deep here. Um, but the interesting thing is, is uh, he deemed it not good in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that man would not be alone. And I know for some of us young males who aren't married yet, we've kind of attached that to our doctrine of, you know, uh, burning for a relationship. You know, it's not good for me to be alone, Pastor. I need a girl. But really, the, the aspect of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 is far broader. You guys know what I mean. I, I, I have like two chucklers in the front row. I might have to get, I might have to get security, <laughs> security to meet them. They're single, okay? So, men, you can use that excuse right here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am that kind of pastor. No. So, but the kind of, kind of understanding of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 is, is far broader than that. And, and the verse uh, stands out starkly in the biblical narrative of creation. Because as the scriptures describe the days of creation, the text punctuates each stage of creation with the words, God saw, and it was good. Take, for instance, uh, Genesis 1, 4, or Genesis 1, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. The goodness of God in creation emerges as the main theme of Genesis 1. And the statement, God saw, that it was good, is repeated again and again throughout the chapter. Then finally, after the sixth day of creation... We're told with emphasis, God saw everything that he made, and indeed, it was very good in Genesis chapter 1, 31. But then in Genesis chapter 2, 18, bringing us back, kind of takes us back to day 6 and reveals that just before God ended his creative work, just one thing was left that was not good. Every aspect, the entire universe was finished Think about this. Each galaxy was placed, planet was placed in its uh, spots, and every rock, grain, and sand, and tiny molecule was in its place. Unbelievable. Adam had already given uh, names to the cattle and the birds of the air and every beast of the field in Genesis chapter 2.20. But one glaring, unfinished aspect of creation remained. For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Think about that. Every other uh, 
aspect of God's creation within creatures had a, 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 a it was, a, you know, between the sexes, it had a male and female, but yet Adam was alone. A single man couldn't accomplish the monumental task, especially the task of multiplying and filling the earth, unless he had a companion. In bringing Adam and Eve together, God established the family for all time. They were indeed his first family. The Genesis narrative says, Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and join to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. Jesus quoted this in Matthew 19 verse 5. To underscore the sanctity and the preeminence of marriage as an institution. It is a reminder that God ordained marriage in family. They were his idea. Idea. That was a little New England. Somebody called me on the carpet for that once. I'm like, I don't have that New England kind of accent. You're crazy. Well, let the truth be known. And these things that God instituted were sacred to him, and they should be sacred to us. So as we seek to build this church together, the, the, the tools and the, the things that we use must be that of a family, a heart of a family and not an institution. We must be preoccupied and invested in building up one another and looking at our church like a family. But it's not easy, is it? You know, often... Churches are marred with misunderstanding and um, offenses. I'll, maybe if I stand here, I'm so sorry. You might want to move your seat. That's, I see the beam of God's glory just... <laughs> poor people, golly. But oftentimes we see in the church that... I mean, just personally speaking, I've been involved with church plants that have not been destroyed by moral compromise, have not been destroyed by... Um, you know, failure in leadership, but have been destroyed by just offenses and bitterness that has kind of reared its ugly head within the church and has destroyed the fabric of family within those churches. We have to understand that in battling these things, what's at stake is more than just a church. It's relationships. See, my heart for this church is that there there is... There is relationship that is being built within this community. You know, I can't be everyone's friend here. (laughs) It's it's hard. Like, that used to work when we were in a small two-room house with about 50 to 60 people. No problem. And even when we moved to a larger space, when it was 100, still not that big of a deal. But it gets harder and harder to keep and to fight for that heart as we grow. I mean, I'm, I don't want to like, you know, stretch our growth, but I'm, I'm thinking the many relationships that I've been able to connect with personally. We probably are a church of anywhere between three to 400, if not a couple more. I'm not trying to, you know, I, that's not a big church. <laughs> it's really not. Um, but but it is, it's big in the sense that as we've grown, I'm understanding as a pastor, that I cannot keep it all together. 
where once I could go to dinners and, and do this and do that and go to this group and go to that group, it's impossible. But you know what? Together, together, us together can build not just an organization, not just an institution, but a family. And I don't want to stretch that. Listen, guys, today I'm going to fail you as a pastor. Do you understand that? Like, you're going to get offended with me. <laughs> and, and, you know, most likely I won't even know what's going on. But see, I don't know about you. My family can, can, can wound me deep. And there's just something about my family. I'll still stick by them, their side, you know. They can really hurt me, but there's just something that I continually will not turn my back on them. And I really believe, I really believe that that is the heart that God has for the church. And I'm not just talking about Hilltop. I'm talking across denominations. I'm talking uh, across churches, even here in the Cambridge area. That we are one in Christ. And we don't have time to get into all the doctrine of how Christ has made us one. But that's the way the Bible portrays us as believers. We are one. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. That seemed weird. But you get the picture, right? And isn't that the New Testament theme of how Paul and, and the apostles and even Jesus, they define us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when we come to church, are we thinking upon those lines? I, I think we, we have to. I think we should. And I think it's the example that Christ gives us, especially even in the formation of the first family, Adam and Eve. God instituted family, and God calls us not to just be a church uh, that just is interested in numbers. I don't want just numbers. I want relationships. I want, I want family. I want to know that if I let you down, you got my back. I want to know that if I let you down, you can come to me and talk to me and tell me your grievances. And I want that for those of you uh, amongst each other. And, and I, I honestly feel that this is the path of which Hilltop needs to journey. We need to pursue this. We need to fight for family. It's not easy. It's, it's not easy. I'm hearing more and more of offenses that are, that, are, that are coming about. And you know what? I cannot believe that as Christians we're not beyond that. It behooves me. Listen, if, I, if you think I'm standing here not ever touched by offense over a situation or a relationship within this community, you're wrong. But I know who to go to. And I know about forgiveness. And I know about love. Why? Because Christ gave us that example. And if, I may not know much, but I know what to apply when this heart becomes hardened towards my brothers and sisters. And that's forgiveness. And that's love. We must be occupied. We have to be invested. I don't want to set the bar so high because ultimately in pursuing family, we are going to we are going to drop the ball. That's the, that's the part of it. That's the beauty of it because God wants to provide opportunities for you and I to become offended. <laughs> what, what will we do? So he's going to give us in our relationships in this church He's going to give us experiences 
with one another that are going to be testing. And it's, and it's not so much, the testing isn't so much about what's been done, it's how you respond. <laughs> Let me say that again. The testing is not so much about what has been done against you, it's what you're going to do in the aftermath. Come on. I mean, I, I pray, I pray, I hope that we can pursue this, that we can pursue being one, that it's not just some kind of, you know, I love your brother thing that we throw around so casual and so careless, you know, that has no meat, that has no action in it. You know, I, I mean, take marriage, for example, you know. I mean, what, what a, what a, what a, what a tightrope walk that is. What a, you know, like... And we constantly live by this model that Trez Engel gave us. She said, hey, listen, in your arguments, the first one to the cross wins. Why don't that be our mission as a church when it comes to dealing with offenses and bitterness? I'm going to go to the cross. <laughs> Let's see who can get there first. That's a, that's a humbling thing, isn't it? It's not our job, excuse me, to produce a false picture of a perfect church. I'm not talking about a perfect church today. A perfect church that has it all together. However, I think we'd all agree that it is our job to forgive one another for our imperfections. In other words, Hilltop, we are not perfect, but we must love and we must know how to do the, do the one, two, threes of simple Christianity. And that is forgiving one another. So a little bit of... Just, I think, the impact if we lose sight of pursuing family. And um, you can turn with me to, um, I think, actually... John 13, 35, scripture verse that we're all familiar with. John 13, 35. You don't even have to turn there because you probably can quote it. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Notice that Jesus doesn't say your love for them will prove you're my followers. He says your love for one another will do that. Our love for one another is the most effective way of proving the authenticity of true conversion to Christ. Is our salvation real? Then we should love one another no matter the cost. Don't you, don't you, find, you know, quick little story. Uh, you know, many of you know my testimony. You met Chad last week. How many loved Chad? Wasn't he awesome? I knew you, I knew you would. I knew you would. I always kind of, you know, give the props to him about my conversion and how, you know, I kind of gave my heart to Christ. But you know what? Um, I've never, I think, kind of talked about the, the, the days leading up or the months leading up to that, um, that experience in Michigan. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. I'll spare you the details. Um, but, you know, I really believe that I am, as a Christian, the... Um, I, 
my life is not so much about what took place in Michigan, meaning how I gave my heart to Christ, but I'm here today because a community loved me deeply. I, I was not just told about God making me his child. I saw it in the community that kind of took me in as a son. And, and although my life was a mess, months leading up to Michigan, that trip that kind of just was the tipping point for me. If, again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's not a big deal. As much as I kind of give credit to that experience about my conversion, really the months leading up to that time was so pivotal because I at any moment could have walked the other way very fast, but I was so intrigued by this community's love for one another and the love that they showed me as a sinner, (laughs) as somebody who had no interest in Christ. It's astounding what love can do. And I'm not trying to, you know, blow smoke here today, but it is amazing that when Christians choose to love one another, the testimony that is to the world. It's amazing to me. And I, 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 I really believe that that this is the greatest tool of evangelism that the Lord gives the church. It's to stand out. Oh, no, 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 no. You you can find that in the world, but you can't find it in the church. You know where we miss it is we, we, we miss it when we don't apply love and forgiveness, the one, two, threes of our Christianity. You know, I'm all in for some of the small group stuff that we're doing this um, I forget what it's called, introductive, inductive, inductive sorry, I butchered, I don't even think that's a word. Um, Christine, you can uh, clue me in if it's not afterwards. Uh, but I'm all in for studying God's word in depth. But if we're missing the basic principles of what it means to be a follower of Christ, we need to be brought back. Because here, Jesus says, listen, your love will prove to the world that you are my followers. Man, if, that's what it's, if that is what is at stake, then sign me up. I'll go to the cross. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Imagine that. <laughs> He's talking about salvation. <laughs> let, that, let that just sink into your thoughts this morning. We know that we have passed from death to life because what? We love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. He remains in darkness. He's not talking about literally being dead. He's talking about salvation. And I think sometimes it so passes over our head like, yeah, I get it, but I'm, I'm... I love my brothers in Christ. But, but who measures that when you're offended? Who measures that? It, just, just your thoughts of, oh, I love my brother. Or, or is it when you're alone and you're thinking about that time with your brother, you're like, and you're grumbling and you're frustrated and you're saying words that you shouldn't. You know what I'm talking about. 
But what really, what tests that? So John says, listen, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. John, 1 John 4.20, anyone who says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. There's far more at stake when we say we love God, but harbor unloving behavior towards our brothers in Christ. And can I say, I don't think it's as little as we make it. I feel as though in the eyes of God, it's huge. And it's really telling of where we are in our walks with the Lord. Meaning, when I have a thought, (laughs) when I am offended, I don't just say, oh, well, that's natural. They did something that I just don't like, so this is okay. I'm just processing. No. (laughs) No, really. I don't think today in the 21st century that we really take this serious. It's a big deal. (laughs) It's huge. If I could be. I just realized um, who that was. How can we say love, we love God whom we haven't seen and not love those whom we do see when God is love? It's impossible. Um, turn with me to Matthew 23, 34 through 40. Am I boring you? Okay. You can say yes. It's all right. I'd rather you be honest. <laughs> just joking. It's just a joke. It's just, it just got everybody to smile. See, it worked. Okay, 23:34 through 40. Oh, man. I'm just... Uh, yeah, this is not the scripture verse I want. I'm looking for the greatest commandment. Don't you love that when you write the wrong scripture reference in your notes? Anybody know what it is? Google? Let's try it. (laughs) You're saying 22... Okay, yeah, let's start at 34. Thank you. That's exactly what I want. The most important commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he, he being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, he, with his reply, they met together and questioned him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with these questions. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second, a second is equally important. Love your neighbors as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. I like to emphasize this Uh, as being, like Jesus said, the most important commandment 
of the law, Moses. So here, Jesus is replying to a person who has not the greatest intent towards Christ. And he's trying to trip Jesus up and hoping that Jesus will say something off-color or heretical. And for me, verse 40 applies just a little more weight as being the most important commandment in the uh, law of Moses. And let's just read verse 40. And the entire law and all the demands are based on these two commandments. The entire law of God is based. It's like saying the whole of God's law is based. It's seated upon these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, your mind, soul, body, and strength. Oh, and let me just add, love each other. Interestingly enough, Jesus is saying this to an expert that in no way holds any regard for Christ nor love towards him. 1 John 4.21, and he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. There seems to be no uh, exceptions to this rule. God's command is for us to love one another. It's not an option. It's not negotiable. If we say we love God, then we must love God's people. My question for us, I think, tonight is, how well are we loving one another? Are we carelessly throwing Around these words, I love you, I care for you, I'm invested, you matter to me. We just can't carelessly throw these words around without taking action, without actually being inconvenienced by love. See, love primarily is inconvenient. Because it means I have to make space for you. I have to make time for you. And time is not something that is really easily come by these days. And you know what? As a church, we can make this happen, though. See, the, 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 this idea is evenly distributed, if you would, upon the backs of us all. It's not just my job. It's not just the leadership's job to love and to love well and to care and to care well. It's all of us fully invested in one another's lives. And that's my heart. That's my desire for this church. I pray, even in the scatteredness of this message, that we never lose the sacred design of God's love for one another. And it's not just words that we easily throw around and, oh yeah, brother, I love you, God bless you, but we really mean it and therefore we invest our lives in it. Meaning, if you suffer, I suffer. If you're down, I'm down. If you need help, I'm there. And if I can't be there, well, there's going to be others that are. And this is... 
really my desire for this church. And we're going to get into so much more. This was an introduction. Hopefully it worked and made an impression upon your hearts. But my heart is that we don't treat our relationships carelessly. And let the busyness of our lives just absorb what Christ called us to do, and that's to make disciples. That's to, to, to come alongside of one another in this journey and strengthen one another. I can't do that by myself. Bethany can't do that by herself. It takes all of us. Man, if I, if I could say anything here today, find people within this community that you can lock in with don't be so selective. Move, move outside of your, your cliques. Be so selective in your cliques. I, I can't stand churches that, that have little cliques within it. Move outside of that. I intentionally will talk to people that nobody else will because I refuse just to make like a posse. Reach out. Take action. Don't let your life be so absorbed that you can't care for people. Don't let your love be just words that are empty with no action. Love one another. Love one another well. And you know what? There will be no end to the growth of this church. If we see ourselves as being equally responsible in loving each other. (laughs) Man, the skies are the limits. And you know what? We won't just be talking about, you know, church crossover. We'll be talking about uh, converts being added to the church. Because once the world sees a true, authentic example of family, oh, they will run by the numbers I don't need more numbers, but you know what? I'd like to see some conversions. You know, I love that our teams are going out, hitting the streets. I was like embarrassed by Kelsey's video. I was like, ah! I would never do that. And not embarrassed in a way that I was like, that's ridiculous. I was like, my God, where am I? I'm a pastor, and I don't even know if I have that boldness. And I know for some of us, we probably laughed. Oh, that's ridiculous. Look at all those people laughing at her. But she took a chance. <laughs> the Bible is full of people that take chances. And you know what? Our evangelism will not just be sitting in subways, hitting streets, although that's good. It will happen right here in the four walls of the church. Why? Because we love one another. <laughs> that seems pretty easy to me. Woo! I don't have to preach in a subway. I can just love my brothers and sisters in Christ. No, I'm just joking. Of course, we got to share the gospel to the streets. But the best witness we could ever give the world, what we could ever give this city, is not our decent music, our okay preaching, whatever, our introductive, whatever they're doing there in small groups. It's not going to be that. It's not going to be our sozos. It's not going to be that. It's going to be the way we loved. <laughs> that, that is powerful. But you, you, you understand, see, we all got 
good feelings now, but it ain't easy. It ain't easy. I don't want to, you know, lead you on and tell you it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Our love for one another is going to be challenged. You think about Jesus. In many regards, he was probably deemed as like a failure as a leader. (laughs) He raises up these 12 dudes, one of them stealing from him. (laughs) The other, when it really comes to Jesus, the time where Jesus needs him the most, they're all like running they can't even, you know, in front of a little girl say, yeah, yeah, I am Peter. I am that guy who follows Jesus. Like, they're just cowering out. But you know what? I never saw Jesus veer or steer away from his commitment and his love towards that weak, broken up group. A jacked up group of people. Never saw him once. We need to love one another. And this is not just me trying to give like some kind of hype, whatever. I, it's, I don't even know how invested I am into this message of love. But I know when I read these words, something strikes my heart. It strikes me and says, Lord, I want to love well. I don't want to just throw the word around. I love your brother. Yeah, yeah. I want to take a bullet for that man. I want to be able to say, at the end of the day, I loved well, no matter who turned against me, no matter how I felt rejected or or forsaken by my brothers and sisters, I choose to love. It's not saying I choose to be a welcome mat. I'm not good at that. What I am saying, I am dedicated to not letting my heart get seized up by offenses and bitterness. You will have opportunities daily, if not by the minute, to get offended with one another. I mean, think about everything that is raging in the world today, even amongst races now. It's raging. And uh, some people say it's always been there. I don't know. Maybe I'm clueless. But you know what's going to win that? Is love. It's going to win. I mean, I, I, don't wanna, I don't even want to be that guy, but it is love. There was this video I was checking out on Facebook, and this, this, this black guy, I'm sorry, this African American guy was, I don't even, I'm sorry. I mean, I, there's not a racist bone in my body. Um, but this guy was standing in between this group that was raging and these cops that were just trying to keep the peace. And he had this shirt off. I mean, these guys, this, this gang of people, this mob of people were raging, raging. And this guy had the shirt that said, free hugs. I'm like, well, that's weird. But as he gets into dialoguing with these two groups, he, he, he's emphasizing love, that not much is going to be done in keeping uh, this, this kind of sense of, Uh, raging against one another. Not much is going to be accomplished if we just keep the craziness going. we got to love one another. Something so corny, but yet so true. We have to love one another. It can't just be something that we know here. It has to affect our hearts and our lives where we live it. And most likely you've already had an opportunity. And I would encourage you to stay steadfast in love for God and love with one another. Now, I'm, I'm sure I'm not, you know, there's many dynamics of this love that 
always play out very interestingly in a community like this. Like if I send the wrong messages to this guy, you know. No, guys, let's just, I'm not talking about that love. Let's not get crazy. Let's not be stupid. All right, let's not be foolish. I'm just talking about a sincere connection between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's dissolve the cliques. Let's dissolve the little social dynamics that we have. Let's let everybody in. And let's show a broken world that we love and we love well. Amen? That's all I have. I don't know if I did a good job.